You may be seated. We welcome you here this morning, and we're very, very happy you're here to worship with us. And uh, this morning, as we get back into our study of 1 Corinthians, I want to encourage you to pick up your copy of God's Word and, and turn to chapter 1. And while you're doing so, um, I just want to make mention of a, a couple of uh, needs that we have. Um, we have, uh, uh, as, as we've been transitioning back into our fall programs, uh, there are still a few areas that we could use some help with. And so if you're able to, uh, we just want to put these needs before you to pray about and to consider. Uh, we have need of some uh, nursery workers as we go back here. Um, we, uh, we have especially, um, in fact, this morning we don't have anybody to cover the, this service or the 10 o'clock Sunday school or discipleship community hour. And so uh, just be praying about that. And uh, as well as uh, we could also use some more help down in the, uh, back in the, in the sound booth just to free up uh, some of our guys that are back there quite a bit. And so we could use some help to, to uh, provide some uh, audio and video help. And we'll give you all the training you need and all that stuff. But uh, we would greatly appreciate you prayerfully considering that. I'm excited to continue to study 1 Corinthians and really dive down into the book uh, this week. The title of this week's uh, message is, uh, can't we all just get along? Um, the the um, number of years ago, back in the 90s, uh, there was the L.A. race riots, and Rodney King went before the people. And that's what he us- is usually quoted as saying, can't we all just get along? But uh, the reality was, is that's, uh, that's not what he actually said. In the, if you watch the tape, you can do so on YouTube. He says, people, I just want to say, you know, can we all get along? Can we get along? And I feel like that's a theme in many of Paul's letters as he's writing to the the churches. Uh, Almost every letter, at some point, it comes up, love one another, take care of one another, please get along with one another. And that's how he starts off this section of Corinthians. In fact, we're going to read verses 10 through 17, but the reality is that, that verse 10 sort of serves as a thesis for this entire section that goes all the way through the end of chapter 4, and the main focus is unity. The main focus is uh, let's, let's do away with the divisions and the factions that have developed in the church, and let's get along with one another. So let's, let's read uh, here 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 17, and we'll study that together this morning. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Many, many years prior to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, David 
wrote in Psalm 130, 133, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. There is a precious truth that is taught throughout the Word of God that God calls us as His people to walk together in unity. And the Apostle Paul is going to appeal to these Christians to be united. In fact, if you're taking notes, that's the, the first point here is the appeal to unity. The appeal to unity. He says, I appeal to you, verse 10, brothers. That, that word appeal is a strong word, but it's, it's not a harsh word. It's a, it's a loving, tender word. It can mean to, to come alongside. Paul has a, a deep desire for this reconciliation, but he's not yelling at them. He's not shouting and screaming, but he makes a request as a family member. He says, Brothers, and, and the word can be brothers and sisters, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. He's, he's urging them based out of the intimate relationship he has with them, out of his deep love and affection for them. He's not a harsh taskmaster shouting out orders, but he's lovingly coming alongside and urging them to unity. And he makes this appeal based upon Jesus Christ. I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes straight to the top, to the highest authority. This wasn't Paul's preference. Paul was not urging them even based upon his authority, although it's very important that he already established his apostolic authority back in verse 1. So this is not just a suggestion. It is an appeal, it's, but it's a, it's a loving appeal with some authority behind it. So between Paul's apostolic authority and the appeal to Jesus, he wanted the Corinthians to know that this was a serious matter and that his calling of them to come together was urgent. It was a serious matter to be addressed. What does he ask? He says there in verse 10, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. He says, I don't want there to be any divisions. It's the, the Greek word that we get our English word uh, schism from. It means to tear. Often it's used in, in ancient literature as in a political context that speaks of a division or a rift within the social fabric of the community. <laughs> it doesn't speak to anything that we're dealing with in our nation today, does it? The word refers to political factions that would develop and sides taken, groups forming, standing against each other. Unfortunately, I mean, it would be fine and okay, it would be great if we could say that this only happens in the world around politics, that this sort of thing doesn't come into God's church ever, but the reality is all the way throughout history, this has been a struggle for us as Christ followers. We break into groups. We, we schism. We find reasons to fight and to argue. There's a reason that there's hundreds and hundreds of Protestant denominations today. I don't think that it's the Spirit of God that led those each to form. 
He says, I want you to be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That, the, that, that word um, judgment is, or the, the word translated mind in, in, in my translation here, mind is a mindset or a way of thinking. I want you to, to, to think the same thing. And he says, to have the same judgment, some of your translations will say thought, or have the same conviction. It's the idea of consent. I want you to come together and be united in the way that you think. I really like how one translation, one paraphrase, I should say, uh, renders this verse. He says, I have a serious concern to bring up with you, my friends, using the authority of Jesus, our master. I'll put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. Well, what does Paul mean by united in mind, to, to think the same thing, to come together and agree? Does he, does he mean that we have to have the same opinion about everything? That if we're like taking a poll and, and we ask somebody what their favorite pizza place in town is, that they, they say, well, I'm just kind of a Little Caesars person. Does that mean that everybody's got to be like, well, I kind of like Busilli's better, but I, he said Little Caesars, so we've got to think the same thing, so I guess... No, that's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about being able to come together and be united in a way that you can work uh, hand in hand, arm in arm, with the same purpose and focus. You see, as we're going to read on in the coming chapters, we're going to see that the people were wanting to go their own way and do their own thing. But when we unite around the gospel, people from different backgrounds, different political viewpoints, different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, different races. Under Jesus Christ, we can come together and work together, united around the gospel. It doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we have to, to, to uh, just march in line and, and all sort of uh, be copycats in the way that we think. We can think for ourselves. We can have independent minds, it's, and, and it's okay to voice contrary opinions, but as we go forward, we decide, even if, even if we, we weren't excited about that decision, we will still walk together in unity for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we put Jesus first. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord in one mind. We would do well to give time this week to think about what it looks like to be united as God's people. Thinking through, and again, it's not always easy. We're going to butt heads with one another. We're going to have times where we disagree, sometimes passionately about something. And Paul's not just talking about doctrine here. Paul's talking about uh, just in general as we work together, we need to have that same focus, that same like-mindedness. Paul's talking about getting along with one another for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look here at the next thought, this will explain things a little bit further here. Uh, number two, if you're, again, if you're taking notes, we see the source of disunity. The source of the disunity. So we see in verse 10 that there's some divisions. There's, uh, 
separations. And now what he's going to say is uh, he's going to kind of explain this further. And we get a little glimpse. We're not going to fully understand what's going on. But he says, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people. So we don't have any clue who Chloe is. The, The scriptures don't explain who this woman is. But we understand that some of her associates. Now, she could have been a leader in the church at Corinth. She may not have even been a Christian at all, though. We don't, we don't even know that she was part of the church. She could have been a, a wealthy businesswoman that traveled the area, and she came through, and, and, she, and Paul has heard through her associates or, or you know, people who attend the same house church as her or whatever, somehow through her people, word had gotten back to Paul that there were divisions. I do think it's interesting, as one commentator mentioned, that the idea that, that maybe she wasn't even a believer at all And that just reminds us how detrimental our divisions and our fighting can be, Christians. Because so often we think that it's just an in-house issue. We live in a small town, though. You know that that doesn't work that way. People talk. Word gets out. And so often we destroy and damage and cause just all kinds of... We malign the name of Christ because we don't don't work together. We We don't walk together. And it's interesting to think that maybe this, this individual and, and her associates weren't even believers, but word had gotten out. One of the important reasons that we recognize how crucial this is, is that we can cause others to turn away from the name of Jesus Christ by how we treat one another. He says, it's been reported that there is quarreling among you. The, the word means strife. Discord, contention, rivalry. What happened, as we see in verse 12, is that factions had formed in the church. There was a group that began to say, I follow Paul. He was the original church planner. And they, they circled their allegiance around him. They put the spotlight more on him than they did Jesus, it sounds like. Well, another, another man came through, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 18 by the name of Apollos. And in Acts 18.24, we find out Apollos was eloquent. He was a great speaker. Remember we said last week, two of the things that the Corinthians uh, are, are very passionate about, and, and Paul's going to address it multiple times throughout the book, is eloquent speaking and knowledge. Um, in fact, we learn from another writer uh, that lived in the first century. He passed through Corinth. His name was uh, Dia, Dia Chrysostom. Dia, it's transla- his name is translated Dia the Golden Mouthed. He was known as a, as a fantastic orator, a great speaker. And he gave testimony that when he passed through Corinth, they would hardly let him leave because they kept begging him to speak. He was such a good communicator. And they placed, placed such high reverence, high, high uh, you know, they put just honored people who could communicate well. And Paul tells us elsewhere in his book that he's not a gifted speaker. He comes with authority, but not eloquence. But Apollos comes along, and he's an eloquent, gifted speaker. Probably, he's, it says he's from Alexandria, and he's probably, probably well-educated. And so there was a certain group of the church that, that kind of gathered around him and his teaching. And it was nothing that Apollos did. We don't get anything from the text that any of these guys did anything wrong or that they were trying to get their own team, so to speak. But it was the Corinthians who had formed these groups. And so there was Paul, there was Apollos, and he mentions, I follow Cephas. Now, we don't know whether Cephas actually, and this is Peter, we don't know whether Peter actually went to Corinth and ministered at all. We don't really have a record that he did. 
but it's possible he passed through. Or others could have heard his teaching. And likely, you know, we know that Paul and, and Peter ran into some issues. You can read about it in Galatians 2, where Peter, Peter was still kind of stuck in the old Judaism, kind of stuck with the law a little bit. And Paul had to get after him at times to help correct his thinking. And, and so this group possibly centers around Peter because maybe, maybe they're kind of tied to the older ways of Judaism. They're, they're maybe struggling with legalism a little bit. And so Peter is kind of kind of someone that they've attached themselves to. And then finally, the last group uh, is I follow Christ. I mean, uh, they're looking at these guys fighting, and they're like, you attach yourself to Paul, Peter, Apollos. They're nothing. We're the Jesus guys. And so you have these four groups, it looks like, that are fighting. And you know what? What's interesting, and this happens so much in churches, is that, that we, we, we cloak our arguments in our disunity in spiritual things. You ever caught yourself doing that? I know I have. I find myself doing it with my wife sometimes in our arguments. You want to try to make yourself look sp- more spiritual than the other group, more, more, more Christ-minded, more, more godly than the other. And, and, and I, I still remember when my wife and I were, uh, my wife and I were a part of this church that we loved, and it was a little small church, and uh, a lot of dear people that, that had poured into us and that we'd spent time with. And as my wife and I went off to do some of our missions training, we got word that they were going through a church split. And we heard that it was over a certain doctrinal matter, a, a, a smaller issue of, of theology that they were, they were fighting about. And finally, one of the groups left the church. And a number of years later, I was talking, and, and, and it was heartbreaking for us because we had people that we loved on both sides, and it was just so hard to hear about this all secondhand, but I, I still remember a couple of years later, I was talking to one of the guys who had left the church, one of the vocal opponents, and uh, I don't even remember what we were talking about, and it felt like an abrupt transition, and, and he said, uh, so do you know what that split was really all about? And I said, you know, I heard that it was about this area of theology that you guys couldn't agree on, but honestly, I, I don't think that was the real cause. And he kind of looked at me surprised, and he said, you know, you're right on. So it just sort of feels like there were people that wanted their own way, and they cloaked it with doctrine, with theology, to make themselves sound more spiritual. But the root of it all was pride. The root of it all was self-centeredness, demanding my own way. The Apostle Paul, um, or not Paul, but James, would write this. In James chapter 4, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Wow. James, never one to pull any punches, gets right down to the heart of it. You just want your own way. As Christians, we constantly have to come before God, especially as we find ourselves in disagreement with others, and say, God, is, where's my heart on this? Lord God, would you search my heart? Would you show me? Would you reveal to me where my heart is? Am I being self-seeking here? Do I, do I have my own agenda that I'm putting forth? Do I have this plan that I'm, I'm using to buck the system here? We want to be people who center and unite around Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't discuss things. It doesn't mean that we don't have debates about things. I don't think Paul is saying that. He's talking about 
factions. He's talking about dividing. And my brothers and sisters, this is an age when our, our country is divided more than I can ever remember in my lifetime. Fighting about this and that. And, and we've allowed it to come into the church in so many ways. And so we have things, whether it's uh, the, the anti-maskers versus the people passionate about masks. And it becomes a, a pride issue at times where I'll never wear a mask and I'll never do this. And, and then you have the other side shouting back and it just becomes so ugly. Or maybe we could put it in other terms uh, that rather than I follow Apollos, it's I follow Donald Trump or I follow Joe Biden or I follow this political candidate. It's so, so divisive in our days. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to remember that we are united under Jesus. And we may have issues that we disagree about. But let's keep the gospel central. Let's keep the, the main thing, the main thing, as we seek to work together for the cause of Jesus Christ. You know, something really sad about this situation is that Paul was writing this probably in the early 50s A.D., well, we have a letter from a, a, Christ, a church father by the name of Clement, and he wrote to the Corinthians a letter approximately 45 years later, right at the end of the first century, and you know what he's exhorting them to? Unity. He's telling them the same thing that Paul told them 45 years earlier, would you guys stop forming groups and fighting with one another? 45 years of the same issue because they didn't deal with it. They didn't change from the Apostle Paul's exhortation. And the church fathers, almost half a century later, were still exhorting them to the same truth. May that not be said of us. May our reputation in the community not be one of infighting or factions or divisions or cliques. But may we be a people united. And so Paul finishes this section with a reminder of what they're united under, or rather, who they're united under. Verse 17 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, Paul, and we skipped a couple of verses there because Paul kind of went on a rabbit trail. And he, he said, listen, it's not about who, what teacher you follow, and it's not about who baptized you. And Paul said, I'm thankful that that wasn't my ministry. My main ministry was preaching the gospel. I, I only baptized a couple of you so that you can't all rally around that. My main focus was the gospel. It wasn't about who baptized who. It wasn't about who's the greatest teacher. My main heart here is the gospel. And so we see here the path back to unity centers around Jesus Christ. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Paul says, my goal was to keep the main thing the main thing. Listen, I love, I love talking about the finer points of doctrine. And theology matters. Doctrine matters. But it, it all comes back to Jesus Christ. We're a part of a denomination, the United Brethren in Christ, where our pastors can disagree and, and churches can, can disagree about some of these, these finer points of doctrine. You can have different opinions uh, on different doctrinal issues. 
Some of those doctrinal issues I have strong opinions about. And I'll spar with some of our other pastors that I don't see eye to eye with and in love. But at the end of the day, it all revolves around Jesus Christ, who he is and his work. The main things of the gospel, the, the, the trinity, and, and the scriptures being the authoritative word of God. The fact that Jesus is divine, was born of a virgin, that salvation is through Christ alone, through faith alone, that he will return again. So much of the other stuff, they're side issues, not unimportant, but peripheral issues. And Paul says, what I came to preach, I came to preach the gospel. And he said, no, I didn't come with eloquent words of wisdom, not like Apollos. Apollos was a great communicator, it's not me. I wasn't relying upon eloquence. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He recognized that the real power and unity, the, the source of us being able to walk together as God's, as God's people, is to keep our eyes upon the cross. That's why we sang that song this morning. The old rugged cross. That's what Jesus has done for you and for me upon that cross that unites us together as believers. That's one of the most beautiful things about communion. When we celebrate communion together, we're celebrating that unity, that oneness we have in Jesus through the cross. That's the picture of communion, and it's beautiful. It's God's reminder that you are one people. Come together and walk in unity and love for one another. No, you don't always agree about everything, but center around and focus in upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Virtually every problem, and this is a whole separate sermon, but virtually every problem we encounter in life is because we've taken our eyes off the cross. Whether that's sin, whether that's issues with uh, our kids, whether that's uh, uh, fights with our wife or our, our husband or um, lack of passion for sharing the gospel with the lost. So much of Everything we deal with can be boiled down to taking our eyes off of Jesus. That's why the writer of Hebrews in, in chapter 12 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, let us run the race. Keep your eyes on Jesus.